to turn our attention to the book of Proverbs here tonight. I want us to look at the second proverb. Specifically, we're going to look at verses 1 through 15. One of the immense blessings of the Proverbs is their practical nature. What they're doing is they're taking these deep biblical truths and they're applying them to our everyday lives to give us wisdom as to how to live for God's glory each and every second. Wise insights that if we would learn to apply them, we find ourselves living centered on God, centered on Christ, and steadfastly for His glory. Uh, Just to give you an illustration of of these practical insights, Proverbs 24, verses 30 through 34, it says, I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense. And behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. Then I saw and considered it. I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. What's the general principle at play here in this proverb? Well, it said if you go around acting lazy and if you're a sluggard, you're going to have a vineyard full of weeds. You know, every time I grow a garden, I have yet to find the weeds to be kind enough to simply stop growing and leave me alone. Right? I have to go and I have to pull them out, and I have to pull them out again. And if I'm a little bit late, I have to pull a little bit harder in order to get them out of there. And so this proverb is telling me that if I have a vineyard or if I have a garden full of weeds, then it's probably my own laziness that is the root cause. Now, it might be that I broke my wrist, but the general principle is it is probably laziness going on here. So we have practical wisdom based upon divine truth. But here's the question, how do we gain this kind of wisdom? That's the foundational point, right? How do we glean this understanding? How do we come to God and grow and learn? Whether you're in the workplace, whether you're in the home, whether you're in the church, all of us need wisdom from God to know how we are called to live. And so let's read Proverbs, the second proverb, verses 1 through 15, and dive into all of these areas here tonight. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech to forsake the paths of uprightness, to walk in the ways of darkness, to rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. Now we're going to see three particular words that crop up over and over again here in this particular passage. Those words are wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. We need to say something by way of definition here if we're going to be able to understand everything that's going on here in the second proverb. 
Let me give you an example from the book of Proverbs as to what these different terms mean. Proverbs 24, verses 3 through 4. It says, By wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. So what do you see here? You see a man, he's going out to build a house. And the actual building of a house, that actual act, that is wisdom being lived out. That he has the, the knowledge he needs, he has the materials he needs, he has the understanding, knowing how to put them all together. But it is actually wisdom, the skillful application of what he knows. That is actually what builds the house. And notice how I phrase that, that wisdom is skillful application, not just application, right? If you go out and you build your house and you cut your hand with a table saw, that might be application, but it's not wise and skillful application. However, if a man builds well, if he rightly applies the truth, then his house is going to be sturdy. His house is going to be well built. It's going to be able to withstand the storms that come. That kind of application is wisdom and action. Yet we also see here that it is understanding. That is what actually, it establishes the house. Understanding, it gets how to continue to maintain a home after it's been built. You understand how to raise the family and the nurture and the admonition of the Lord that dwells within that house. You understand how to provide for that family so that they don't starve. You can have the wisdom that you need to go out and you can build a house with great skill, But if you don't have the understanding to maintain that house, then your effort is futile. It's going to come to nothing in the end. Yet we go one more step here, and we see that it is by knowledge that the rooms are filled with all kinds of precious riches. Through knowledge of some trade or skill or business or whatever else, a man, he he gains the necessary requirements to go out and to get this kind of wealth. So in a nutshell, wisdom is skillful living based upon sound knowledge. Understanding, that is the ability to continue to see with your mind what needs to be done in various situations. And knowledge is an understanding of truth. Knowledge is a comprehension of the truth of God. It is the truth of His Word. It is the truth about everything. Putting it differently, knowledge is comprehending how to use a gun. Understanding means that you know when to use a gun. And wisdom means that you know how to use the gun without shooting yourself in the foot in the process. (laughs) So with that in place, we come to our first section here in the second proverb, where we see the search for wisdom in verses 1 through 5. In these opening five verses, we begin by seeing three if statements. Verses 1 through 2 contains the first one. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. This is the opening step to living as a wise individual here that's mentioned. That Solomon is speaking here, and he calls upon his son to pay attention. He calls upon his son, store up my commandments within you. And of course, as the king of Israel, what would Solomon have based his commandments and his teaching upon? He would have based it upon the Old Testament revelation of God, the law of God. Now, obviously, we know that Solomon did not always live with complete wisdom. 
man had 700 wives and 300 concubines. I think that tells you something right there. The man also was tolerant of the worship of false gods. But the point is that even though he was imperfect, just like we're imperfect, he still would have based his life on the word of God. And Solomon here is making the point that you need to have a posture in your life that you are listening to sound wisdom, that you are desiring it in your soul. Which, by the way, that takes humility, doesn't it? That that takes a casting aside of the sinful flesh. Because in our flesh, we're tempted to think that we know it all. We're tempted to think we, we don't need anybody's help. We don't need guidance. We have all the information that we already need. We already have everything figured out. That's not the heart of a wise man. That's the heart of a foolish man. Instead of being a know-it-all, the wise man, he's actually marked by the fact that he is continually seeking to learn, continually seeking to grow. Look back at Proverbs 1, verse 5 with me. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. Now, now did you notice this statement? This is an interesting statement. Solomon's not saying, let the foolish gain in learning. He's saying, let the wise increase in learning. Why is that? It's because the humble man has the heart to continually come to God. He realizes how great and how wise and how knowledgeable God is, that he is perfect in these things, and that he is not. Therefore, he must be continually coming before the throne of grace, seeking more and more. The more understanding the wise man has, the more he realizes his need for the guidance of God in every realm of his life. All of this prompts humility. Being attentive to wisdom, it's it's foundational to growing at the start. But being attentive to wisdom, it's something that we must continually do. It always amazes me how the wisest and the most knowledgeable individuals who I know in my life, are also the people who are seeking to continually learn and grow more of Christ, to know more of His Word, and who have a hunger to know and to glorify God. I remember one time this year, I had a dear pastoral mentor who was helping me with some seminary work. This man was, he's in his 80s. And I go to his house, and we're preparing to start on this journey that's going to last several weeks together, where I'm going to be asking him all of these questions about pastoral ministry and uh, how to preach the word, how to administer in the church, how to love the people. And so we're, we're sitting there in his office, and the man opens us in prayer, and he starts by praying, God, I feel inadequate for this task. This is a man who led in many ways in the conservative resurgence back in the 70s and the 80s. This is a man who has been involved in pastoral ministry for over five decades. And yet he starts his prayer by realizing his dependence upon God. That's the wise man. That's the wise man who just keeps coming to God for knowledge. So that's the first if. In verse 3, we we see the second if. But before we go there, does anyone have any questions or comments here tonight? may not have answers, but Brother Harold's here tonight, and he has all the answers, so we're good to go. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> yep. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Any other questions? Any marital advice or <laughs> All right, let's look at verse 3. <laughs> yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding. So what I want you to see here is that Solomon, he's, he's really taking this to the next step here in this verse. But not only does the son in this proverb, not only does he need to incline his ear, not only does he need to pay attention to wisdom, this is actually something that he needs to be hungry for in the sense that he is actively pursuing it. The righteous are not passive in their pursuit of God. This is what fuels their daily life, that they are desiring to know more of him, that they are actively crying out before the throne to have more insight. And here's another pivotal point to consider from this verse. You don't have to cry out for foolishness and ignorance, right? But you do have to cry out for knowledge. You don't have to go into a local body of believers and try to figure out, hey, how can I wreck everything? That, that comes naturally. What you do have to do is go into a body of believers and say, how can I faithfully serve Christ today? How can I faithfully love the brethren? We live in a fallen world, so foolishness comes naturally to us. But wisdom, that's something that has to be learned. That's something that we have to grow in every single day. I have a little puppy, and it amazes me how dumb she is sometimes. She's as cute as she can be, but she knows how to use the puppy dog eyes to get whatever she wants. But she's just as likely to chew on a toy as she is an electric toy. Right? I have another dog who outweighs this pup by 20 pounds, and my puppy will go chew on this other dog's tail and her ear without any thought that this dog would just step on her throat, and it's over like that. And so we have to put up all of these blockades. We have to put up all of these coverings to just keep her from killing herself in her stupidity. But why is that? She, she has no understanding of life. She has no insight. And we as human beings, we're exactly the same way if we rely on our flesh for nourishment. That whenever we live in our sin, we will follow the paths of the world. We will follow foolishness. That's why we must cry out to the living God to give us insight. I need the wisdom of God each and every second of each and every day that I live. I need to be transformed by the knowledge of Christ. I need to have my foolish ideas replaced by the divine truth of Scripture. And Solomon understands all of that. That's why he tells the son, you must pursue these things. Not only listen, you must actively pursue them. In verse 4, we see our final if statement of the three. We read, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasure. This tells us how highly these things are to be prized before God. That if someone were to bring 150 pound blocks of silver and they were to set them up here at the front and they were to say you can have as many of them as you can carry out that door, we would all be eagerly passionate in our pursuit to take as many of them out the door with us as we could. So should be our drive for wisdom and understanding. 
that we should keep searching after it as a man after hidden treasure. A treasure hunter is insanely dedicated and driven to one goal, and that is finding his intended object. Finding that treasure regardless of the cost, regardless of everybody telling them that they're totally insane and crazy for keeping on looking for this one idol. And so we must also understand that in the pursuit for wisdom, in the pursuit for understanding, this is going to be difficult. But the ways of the world, they are against us. Our enemy, the devil, is against us. We must even battle our own sinful desires in these things. And this is why we need to place an appropriate value on wisdom and knowledge from God. Psalm 119, 72, The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Now, if the psalmist could say that in the days of the Old Covenant, how much more is that true now that we have both the Old Covenant Scriptures and the New Covenant Scriptures. And if I gave you a choice of 1,000 pieces of gold, or the word of the Creator God, which would you choose? In our flesh, we would choose the 1,000 pieces of gold. But if we place an appropriate value on wisdom and knowledge, if we see what Solomon is saying here, then we would choose the word of God any and every But what do you always have after an if statement? You have a then statement. We come to the then statement here in verse 5 on the heels of all of these ifs. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. When I was preparing this message here tonight, I had to chew on this verse quite a bit before I understood what is going on. Why is that? Well, it says here, then then you will understand the fear of the Lord. If, in other words, if you seek after wisdom, it is then that you're going to understand the fear of God. But if you go back to the first proverb in verse 7, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So in the first chapter, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But in chapter 2, it said that the fear of the Lord is the result of finding wisdom and knowledge and understanding. So how can the fear of God be both the beginning of this process and the end of this process? That, that was the question that was perplexing my brain a little bit. But as I continue to read this text over and over again, I realize that the answer to this question is found in the next verse. And it's here where we begin our second point tonight, the God of wisdom. Read verses 6 through 8 here with me. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. It is God who is the giver of wisdom and knowledge and understanding. That is what answers my question regarding how both The fear of God can be both the beginning and the end result of knowledge. Do you want to have knowledge? Then you must fear God. That is the foundational piece. But you know what happens whenever you start fearing God, whenever you start gaining knowledge? You fear God more. You have more respect for who He is. You have more reference for His glory. You are in awe of His holiness even more as you know God more and as you fear Him see these things work together. God, open your eyes as a lost sinner. 
It opens your eyes and you see through Christ for salvation. You realize who you were and who God is. And because you understand that God is holy and perfect and you are not, you fear him in a proper way. But then as you pour into his word, you are driven even greater in your fear of him. And it is all because he gives wisdom and knowledge and understanding. In other words, God is the foundation for knowledge, but God is also the fountain of knowledge that we continue to drink from as Christians over the course of our lives. And as we taste that living water, we desire it more and more. But it's not just that we live in greater fear of him. We also have more knowledge of him as he works in us. Brings up another point, too. God is not obligated to reveal himself to us. It's a gift of his grace and his mercy that he has chosen to do this. It's a gift of his mercy that he enables us to actually know him. He's given us revelation of himself generally in creation, specifically in his word, which is a testimony to his grace and his kindness to us. Yet verses 7 and 8, they continue to talk about the grace of God in actually giving us wisdom, storing it up in order to lavish it upon those who are the righteous, upon those who are his people. James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. God loves to give wisdom to his church. He loves to give wisdom to those who come to him through faith. But we also see here that God is a shield to those who walk in integrity. At one point in his life, the famed evangelist George Whitfield underwent an assassination attempt that failed. And after that attempt, he said, we are immortal until our work on earth is done. God is literally a sovereign shield protecting us until it is our time to leave this world and to go and to depart to be with him. We can be assured we will be here as long as he desires for us to stay. But this text here, notice the language. It specifically says that he shields those who walk in integrity. You know, one of the reasons that the wicked live in so much fear is because of their sin. It's because of their depravity. Proverbs 28.1, the wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Why do the wicked flee when no one is even chasing them? It's because they're scared of what they just did. They're scared of their sin. They're scared of they're going to be found out. They know they're sinful. They're depraved. But for those who walk in integrity, for those who are living according to the commands of God, Fear is driven away because we fear God. We do not fear man. And because we fear God, we're living in obedience to him because we know we will be judged by him. That's freeing for us as believers because nothing is more powerful than him. So if he is our shield, this means that we have the certainty that our eternal soul is kept secure in him. But this opening phrase in verse 8, it discusses God guarding the path of justice, or this is sometimes translated as judgment. Uh, the Hebrew word here, it carries the idea of justice as in the final verdict of divine law. Now we can think of this as referencing a couple of different aspects. First, true justice is found only in God. Uh, you find the accurate ways of justice by coming to God and by reading his word. It is unjust to steal. It is just to pay someone a fair day's wage for a fair day's work. We see those truths right out of the text of Scripture. However, this text is not just referencing 
that God is the one who tells us what justice is, it mentions his guarding justice. And I want you to notice that this little phrase, it's sandwiched right in between verse 7, talking about God being a shield to the upright, and in the end of verse 8, detailing God watching over his saints. So God watches, he keeps his saints on the paths of justice, directing them according to his word as to what is right. But he is also perfectly just in all of his judgments. In other words, he's not going to turn away from this path. He is going to stay on the path of justice, and he is going to work in the hearts of his people to keep us on that path as well. That last phrase here, talking about God watching over the way of his saints. That should be a great comfort to our soul. When you lose a loved one, God is watching over that loved one. When you go through heartache, when you go through trials, God is watching over your life. Whenever you're living life and it seems like it's spinning out of control and it's not going at all in the way that you had thought it should, God is watching over your way. How does that work? How is God watching over you when times of trial occur? You need look no further than the cross to see how that works. It is God the Father who sends His Son to die according to His perfect plan. It is God who, according to His sovereign work, orchestrates the entirety of the crucifixion and the resurrection. But what seemed, humanly speaking, to be the defeat of all that was good and true and beautiful was in reality the plan of God working perfectly at all the time. God has not promised to spare us the trial. God has not promised to spare us the difficulties of this life. In fact, Christ said, take up your cross, come, follow me. But he has promised to be with us. He has promised to empower us by the Holy Spirit. He has given us a sufficient word to guide us. And he has promised us that he will watch over our way as his people. And we can take rest in that, knowing that in every wounding period of life, God is right there. Does anyone have any thoughts or questions before we move into the third section here in this text? All right, so as a third point, in this section of Scripture, we see the result of divine wisdom in verses 9 through 15. When the wisdom of God surrounds a person, it has an enormous impact. And so now we are transitioning to that point of the passage. It actually shows us what the influence of wisdom is. That if a person goes after wisdom with everything they have, if they value it rightly, then we see verse 9 says, then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. Righteousness and justice, these two things, they have to do with understanding what is right as you go through life. The wise man, he understands the character of God. 
He understands the holy standard of God. He comprehends justice. And so now as he goes out into the world, he is ready to skillfully apply these things in life. He is enabled by God's grace, which has transformed him and given him understanding. We live in a world today which cries out, justice, justice, justice. The issue is the lost world does not want true justice. They want justice as defined by them. They want Marxist justice where they prop up all kinds of perversity, all kinds of evil amongst men. You saw this in Governor Gavin Newsom recently. I don't know how many of you saw this, but he recently posted billboards all over the place, advocating for abortion, advocating for, quote-unquote, the woman's right to choose. What did he use to advocate for it? He used the words of Jesus, love your neighbor as yourself. What is that? That's a false standard of justice. It's also blasphemy is what that is. But this is what happens. You have everyone going around according to their standard of justice, and it's all founded according to the ideas of sinful What we need in our day and age are for those who believe in God, the Christians, to stand up and to declare His righteous standards, His just standards, and to live faithfully according to them, and to do so with courage and love for the glory of God and for the good of our fellow man. Because whenever you understand these things, you go forth living with equity in your life. Now, equity here in this text defined biblically It's the ability to understand what is fair amongst men as in fair business dealings, rightly applying the word of God there, fair punishment for crimes, fair interaction with other human beings. As someone who has been given understanding by the word of God, they, they get all of these areas. But then you have the last part of this verse. It says, understanding every good habit. Notice something here. Solomon didn't tell the son every good calf in the temple not what he says. He says, every good calf. The word every means everything. It means every area of your life, every sphere of your life. That's why as you read the Proverbs, what do you see? You see wisdom for kings. You see wisdom for manhood. You see wisdom for womanhood. You see wisdom for the family. You see wisdom for the people of God. You see wisdom for all kinds of situations and scenarios. Why is that? Because we're obligated as followers of Christ, to apply his word in everything. Friends, far too often we fall prey to this false idea where we think that the word of God, it applies here within these church walls, but it doesn't apply out there. Christ, who is head of the church, also created the world. And so we are obligated to apply his word in both places because it teaches us every good path. Now notice verse 10. For wisdom will come into your heart And knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you. The result of a man seeking God for wisdom is that he wants more wisdom and knowledge. Your desire continues to well up. It continues to overflow. It is transforming you from the inside out. One who was once a wretched sinner has now been saved by the grace of God and is seeking to live according to his wisdom. But it also says that knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Whenever I think of something that is pleasant, I think of something that I absolutely delight in. As a beekeeper, I think about cutting the honeycomb and sticking my finger in there and taking a good lick of that fresh honey that's oozing out of the comb. I think of a nice, juicy ribeye right off the grill. 
I think of a evening where you see a full moon with all of the stars shining in their brightness. And so also the knowledge of God should be pleasant to our soul. It's something that a man or a woman should delight themselves in, that they feast on it, they want it more and more. And the more they feast on it, the more they enjoy God and the more they enjoy this knowledge. As I was preparing this sermon after reading this text, I realized that discretion, which is mentioned here in verse 11, it's a word I haven't heard used in a long time. I hear a lot about discernment. I hear a lot about being wise, being alert, but I don't remember the last time I heard that word, discretion. But ultimately, this term, it's, it's the ability to judge what is correct. It's one of the gifts that God gives to his people. It's one of the gifts that comes as a result of divine wisdom. It's an adornment he puts on the wise individual. Sometimes we're, we're put on situations where it seems like everything, it's, it's just coming at us at 100 miles per hour, and we need discretion in those moments to be able quickly to discern, to, to use discretion to understand what is right and what is wrong. Sometimes I have people come to me for spiritual counsel, for advice on doctrinal issues or life circumstances that have arisen, and I need discretion in those moments to be able to answer rightly. I need the grace of God at work in my heart that I might have knowledge and apply it well. You need the same. All of us as Christians do. Because we're nothing without the power of God working in us. Family members and friends are going to come to you as they have situations in life that arise. And you need discretion to judge rightly. But beyond that, we need discretion in the sense of not going down the wrong path ourselves. It amazes me. How many people I know who I've known them for years, maybe I haven't seen them in a little bit, and then I come across their way and they've gone down some wonky, wacko path of some theological cult or theological liberalism or whatever else. What we need is God's discretion. We need discretion to stay on the right course. It is his wisdom that protects us. In fact, the verse goes on to say, understanding will guard you. Again, we see in this text the truth that should warm our hearts. It is understanding biblically defined that God uses to guard his people. To guard us from what, though? Verse 12, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech. We're guarded from those who speak in a perverted way. The way of evil, it's, it's broad. There are many paths. Many go down that path. They go down the wisdom of the world. They go down that path indulging the sins of their flesh, walking in rebellion against their creator instead of submitting to him. This is a reference to the lost world's ways. And ultimately, though, I want you to notice this, how the text puts it, the way of evil. Singular. That's testifying to the reality there are two ways. The way of righteousness and the way of evil. The way of Christ and everything else leading to the gates of hell. Hinduism, Islam, atheism, whatever the religion, whatever the belief system, it is marked by this path, the way of evil, because it is rebellion against God. But we as Christians have had our eyes opened by His grace. We've been given this understanding. This understanding, it has delivered us from the way of evil. It has delivered us from men of perverted speech. It has taken us out of the kingdom of darkness and put us into the kingdom of God. 
this perverted speech here, what it is is it's reference to fraudulent speech, speech that is the opposite of faithfulness. Speech is trying to deceive you. Speech is trying to take you astray. A wise man, what do they do? They instruct others in the truth. A wise man instructs others in the ways of God. But a perverted man declares the ways of evil. Verses 13 through 15 describe these men of perverted speech. Who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness. Who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil. Men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. You know, I think this description sums up the evil that we see in the world today. It shows the abiding relevance of the word of God. We see many forsaking uprightness. We see many walking in darkness. But how about that? Rejoicing and delighting in evil. Isn't that a sad story? Isn't that a sad testament to the depravity of humankind? That someone's heart is so dark that they are actually taking delight in the ways of evil. We see that so much today. Our culture delights in evil. Just look at the entertainment world. Look in the moral filth in it. Every form of perversion, every form of sexual immorality is seen in all the main shows. I'm not against entertainment. I'm not one of those who say that Christians can't watch any movies whatsoever. If you watch a movie, you're going to hell. But my point is, whenever you see a culture delighting in wickedness for their entertainment, that tells you something. That shows you where that culture is at. Ultimately, these men are crooked in their paths and devious in their ways, as verse 15 says. So how do we live amongst such individuals? How do we guard our paths and stay faithful to the Lord? We must realize that but for the grace of God, there go I. The only difference between the lost and the saved is His grace that has worked in our hearts. My salvation has nothing to do to me. It has everything to do with Christ. Therefore, in the midst of a perverse generation... We must determine to know God and declare His gospel so that those who are lost might be shown the same grace that has been given to us. We must know the wisdom of God. We must come to God in prayer asking to be filled with knowledge, to be filled with understanding. The solution is to depend upon Him. The solution is to take what He has given to us and to use it well, to pursue Him, to chase after what he has called us to by diving into the scriptures and by God's grace living faithfully in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation.